um, why things have shifted around. So we, we asked people to come on February the 7th and it was going to be a, for want of a better word, a, kind of a vision day, a talking about the, um, the year ahead. And then Shane and Meg had their baby a few weeks earlier than expected. His name is Hemi, which is Maori for James. Mm, good guess. Um, do you notice me practicing my long A? Yeah, you didn't notice. Never mind. Um, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and so instead of having the vision day today, as Jackie said, we're going to have it on the twenty-first. Um, so basically, there'll be two parts to that day. There'll be just a normal Sunday meeting, but in in this spot in the meeting after the break, um, Shane and I. And the the ghost of female pastors' future will um, will be presenting um, a, a, a vision for the year, what we're going to, what our hopes are, that kind of thing. And so that will just be in the normal Sunday meeting, and then afterwards at about twelve thirty, there'll be a co-creators meeting, which, as Jackie said, is like members, and. Then we will go into a little little bit more detail, and there'll be more scope for question and answer. Um, so yeah, so apologies for the changing around. Thank you for the people that made the special effort to come this morning, thinking that you know they were going to hear something interesting. Never mind. Um, but yeah, come on the twenty first as well, uh, and yeah, stay for lunch. I won't be, but you stay for lunch. Um, how are we going, Sam? Have we got a... Um, so this morning we'll be, for the second time, we'll be wrapping up the, uh, the series on gifts, us being a gifts, a gifts, and next week we'll be wrapping it up for the third time. But I promise that the third wrapping will be the last wrapping. It means it takes... It's long, well, the thing is, unwrapping the gift is the best part. So if you've got three wrappings and it takes you longer, there's more joy. Um, so um, the night, I think it was the night that, the night after Hemi was born, um, the, the girls and I have um, a story from what Kitty refers to as the Bible book, um, Most Nights. And um, the story from the Bible book for that night just happened to be really appropriate for the day. And so I thought I would um, speak about that story this morning briefly. Um, But before I do, I'm going to get Susie to come up and read the story from the Bible book for us. It's a children's Bible, so Susie won't be like paraphrasing in a really infantile way. She's reading what's what's here. I mean, I would anyway, paraphrase in an infantile way, but not me this time. Once upon a time, two men went to God's temple to pray. One of them was pleased with himself. He thought he was keeping all God's rules for the best way to live. The other was a cheat. 
I never tell lies, the first man boasted to God. I'm not greedy and I never ever cheat. Not like that man over there. He was so proud of himself. The other man was ashamed of himself and hung his head. He was so sorry for what he'd done. I'm a really bad person, he said to God. I know I don't deserve it, but please forgive me. God was pleased with that man, Jesus said, and forgave him because he was sorry. Some mothers brought their children to Jesus. They wanted him to ask God to bless them. But Jesus' special friends tried to send them away. Stop bothering Jesus, they said to the mothers. Can't you see he's busy? They didn't think mothers and children were very important. But Jesus did. You mustn't stop them, Jesus said to his special friends. Let them come. God wants children as well as grown-ups in his kingdom. You must all be like loving, trusting children, Jesus said, if you want to belong to God's kingdom. Thank you. And a sniff at the end. Thank you. How are we going, Sam? Are we almost there? With the, oh, cool. Almost there. Um, so we're going to throw up um, another version of that story on the screen just so that you can refer to that as we go. Just realize someone is sick of Shane and I sitting down to speak. So they've taken the stool away. So I'm going to be standing up. I thought this story was appropriate um, for a couple of reasons. Um, and I just, yeah, this is going to be brief, but I just wanted to talk, talk briefly about in the light of Hemi's birth um, and in the light of this theme of us being gifts to each other, I thought this, these two stories were appropriate in a few different ways. Firstly, just focusing on the second part of the story about Jesus saying um, that you must all be like loving, trusting children if you want to belong to the kingdom of God. Um, and I think there's just an incredibly important insight there from Jesus about the fact that um, we are all and we remain like small children. We remain like babies in in a profound and significant way. There it is. Um, yeah, so I'm talking about the, the second part there. And, and Jesus is, is reminding us, telling us that we need to stay in touch with this fact. We need to stay in touch with the fact that we are like small children, that we are like, like babies if we want to remain within the sphere of God. Um, so it's just a great week to remember that none of us are really that different from Shane and Meg's um, baby, from Hemi. We are all, like him, vulnerable creatures who need a safe place in which to thrive. We need nourishment. We need touch. We need comfort. We need love. Um, we need eyes looking into our own um, you know, modern neuroscience has discovered that, that the mother's gaze looking into the eyes of the baby literally constructs parts of its brain, um, particularly things called mirror neurons that are in the, um, the front of the brain. So crucial things about who we are um, 
and who we are to become require the gaze of another. We literally cannot become fully human without the eyes of another. And it's a, it's a profound metaphor for our need for community and also our need for each other. When, when we read the Bible, when we do anything, that we, we cannot do it alone. Uh, we cannot um, find our way into this text, find our, find our sense of community without the eyes of another, without the gaze of another. So I think remembering this can give us the courage because it is courage that's required. It gives us the courage to connect with each other. You know, every, pretty much every week I see, you know, you'll see a, f- a few, few people perhaps here for the first time and you can see the kind of the anxiety of being here and, and the, the question of whether anyone will talk to them. Um, and it just, it just makes me wonder why, why any of us do this? Why do we go to communities like this? Why do we make the effort to try to become a part of communities like this when they can seem so intimidating and unfriendly, when they can, um, when it can be so anxiety producing to even show up. Um, and I, I guess I think it's because at some fundamental level we know we, we need it. It might not be this place that we need, but we need it. The, the second reason why... Um, well, a, a second possible reason why Jesus might encourage us to receive the kingdom of God like children is that um, children have a lot to teach us, just like Lunig, t- children have a lot to teach us about fear and about anxiety. Last week, uh, Tamsin mentioned uh, an episode of the podcast On Being um, where the Benedictine monk David Stendel Rast was um, was speaking to to Krista Tippett on on that particular episode. And uh, last week, Tamsin mentioned what he said about gratitude. But he also talked about anxiety, and uh, it seemed really relevant, I guess, to us in this phase of transition, because transition any any form of transition can be anxiety-producing. Um, and he made a, f- a fascinating point. It appealed to me because it's all about, you know, where the word came from. He, he made a fascinating point about anxiety. So I'm going to quote him. Um, he said, See, anxiety, being anxious, this word comes from a root that means narrowness and choking. And the original anxiety is our birth anxiety. We all come into this world through this very uncomfortable process of being born. It is really a life and death struggle for both the mother and the child. And that is the original, the prototype of anxiety. At that time, we do it fearlessly because fear is the resistance against anxiety. If you go with it, if you go with anxiety, it brings you into birth. If you resist it, you die in the womb or your mother dies. Anxiety is not optional in life. It's part of life. We come into life through anxiety and we look at it and remember it and say to ourselves, we made it, we got through it. In fact, the worst anxieties and the worst tight spots in our life often years later 
when you look back at them, reveal themselves as the beginning of something completely new, a completely new life. I remember when um, our daughters, Tilly and Kitty, were, were being born, you know, they regularly check the heartbeat of the baby to see if the baby is in distress. And um, in both cases, particularly, particularly with Tilly, and it sort of played itself out in her life, but with Tilly, her heartbeat remained just perfectly relaxed and regular the whole time. And it was a very long time, yeah. And it was just extraordinary because even in the moment, I was picturing what she was going through. I knew what we were going through. I didn't really fundamentally know what Susie was going through, but I, I knew what I was going through. And, um, but I was picturing Tilly, her head kind of clamped in this tiny, tight passageway, slowly kind of millimetre by millimetre, being pushed down this inc- through this incredibly tight passageway towards who knows what. And yet... In that incredible, as, as he says, kind of primary experience of, of anxiety, of, of tightness of the unknown, her heartbeat was so relaxed and so regular. Um, and it, it just strikes me as, yeah, just as he says, as a wonderful metaphor of, of the way that, um, the way that anxiety offers opportunity, um, but only if we recognize that we need to endure it and seek not to endure it with fear, but prayerfully seeking the newness, the new opportunity, the new birth that that will lie the other side of that incredible experience of of tightness and confinement. And I certainly don't, I don't mean to to trivialise anxiety and, you know, I, I know that people within this community experience it in quite a crippling way. We're not talking about that kind of anxiety. We're talking about the natural rhythm of anxiety that is a normal part of everyone's life and how we experience it. And so I guess I want, in a, in, a, in a strange kind of way, I want Hemi to be like a little totem for us on this journey of this year and our ongoing journey um, that we, we remember him as a symbol of our vulnerability, um, but also as an encouragement to fearlessness as we face um, this year of, of newness um, and anxiety, and that if we can face it fearlessly and with gratitude and with anticipation of what lies the other side of this period of change, then, then God will honour that and bless it. The last thing I want to say is um, relates to the first part of the story, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which is just about my favourite part of the of the Bible, uh, certainly of the New Testament. Um, and I think that this parable um, reminds us of something else equally important, and that is the need for um, a true and humble sense of ourselves as individuals and as a community if we want God to be the centre of this adventure that we are on. 
and if we want God to bless this adventure that we are on. Um, and the birth of a baby, as I, I, I mentioned in passing last week, the birth of a baby, the birth of Hemi, reminds us, reminds us of how high the stakes are and how much we need God to be in the centre of this process. Because as I mentioned last week, uh, this poor child may spend his entire childhood and adolescence in this community. It's a terrifying thought. And it's a huge responsibility for us. Um, when you think about the communities of faith or otherwise that you grew up in, um, you can think of the incredibly powerful influence, both negative, positive and both, that they had on you. Um, the way they shaped your vision of the world, the way they shaped your vision of, of humanity, of God. Before you were even making memories, they were shaping you. Um, Susie and I just both read uh, Jonathan Franzen's new novel called Purity, and there's this passage where one of the characters talks with extreme anger about the fact that so much of who he was was shaped before he was even making memories and how cruel it is that before you're three, before you have any defences against your parents and the communities you're a part of, they are shaping you. Um, and, you know, a lot of us are right to be angry about what happened in those first three years. And it's a, it's a great reminder of the responsibility that it is to be part of the lives of children um, in those years especially when we think about, you know, what that was like for us. Um, But the fact is, as I said last week, you know, we will screw Hemi up. There's no doubt we will damage him in some ways. Luckily, his parents will damage him a lot more than we do, so there's some comfort there. But, um, But we will. We will damage him in ways, yeah? We will let him down. In ways, And as we said last week, if in 30 years' time he is on a panel at the church that he happens to go to then, if he can still bear to be a part of Christian community, um, and, we, and he's asked about you know, his church, his, his childhood and his faith experience in childhood, he will have lots of criticisms to make of us. It's inevitable. Um, but I guess... With this passage, the need and the encouragement is for us to be authentic and real and humble enough that the ways we let him down, when we do let him down, um, he'll also be able to forgive us because he knows that we see ourselves truly and that we know that to be human is to, to damage each other intentionally or otherwise. And hopefully in our humility and in our true sense of ourselves, we can equip him to survive the things that we do to him and to forgive us for that. But let's, let's begin our project of um, helping Hemi to reach adulthood in a fairly, you know, okay place by by kind of modelling that with each other, um, by being humble with each other, 
by acting with enough humility that we're able to forgive each other. Um, Acting with enough humility too. And I think this, to me, this is incredibly important. We act with enough humility, enough of a sense of, of, of reality about ourselves that when other people are angry with us, they, they will be able to muster the courage to confront us about things. Um, I think, I mean, I'm growing up being a very vulnerable person, I developed a very kind of high status um, social mask and it, a kind of don't mess with me kind of social mask. Um, and it served me when I was small because it kept me safe, but it survived way beyond its use-by date. And it became a real obstacle um, to, to vulnerability and connection. And it made me the kind of person that, yeah, it, it was difficult. And it remains difficult sometimes, I think, for people to, to express their, their anger to me or their disappointment with me because of the mask that I have and because I make the stakes too high. Um, and it's, I guess it's worth all of us being aware of the obstacles we might place in the way of those who need to confront us and need to be angry with us. So as we, as we turn to communion and we'll finish with communion, I guess I want us uh, to think of communion as, or taking communion as a very humble and vulnerable act. Um, because it's an act in which we show our need for God and we show our dependence upon God. We are reminded that, um, that all of us are like babies, that all of us um, require forms of sustenance that we can't provide for ourselves um, in the body and blood. And it's, it's, it's a kind of strange form of alchemy that, in this act, the dying son becomes the loving mother. But in a, in a very real way on the cross, Jesus became the loving mother that provides us with the sustenance that we need. Um, so, yeah, at your table, you know, break your cracker, share it around and share the little thimbles of juice and just, yeah, reflect on your own vulnerability, reflect on your own need of this community, the way we need each other and the way we need God. And then in a couple of minutes, I'll pray.
just going to pray for us, and then um, to finish as our benediction, we, we might do this part of um, the liturgy that we did a few weeks ago. It's from uh, the Iona community in Scotland. So I'll read the bits that have leader at the, at the beginning, and you can read the bits that have all at the beginning. But first, first I'll pray. Loving God, I, I thank you for this community. I thank you again for the way that each person here is a gift to our community. And I, I pray that we might remember that we are both gifts to this community and we are uh, in need of community, that we are those that can provide the gaze that will knit others together. And we are also in need of the gaze of others to knit us together. Help us to be a place that fosters precious things. Help us to move at the speed of common creatures so that we might see and see each other. And as we... As we take communion, as we take the blood of your son and the body of your son, we acknowledge our need of you and our need of each other. And we thank you that you nurture us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you ready? May the everlasting God shield you, east and west, and wherever you go, and the blessing of God be upon you. The blessing of Christ be upon you. The blessing of the Spirit be upon you. The blessing of the Trinity be upon you, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.